the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel, Saul's supporters resist having David as king and start a two-year civil war. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. Once again, that's 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 2, 2 Samuel chapter 2. Look at verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, he took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and over the Asherites and over Jezreel and over Ephraim and over Benjamin and over all Israel. And Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Now, obviously, you can't have two kings in Israel because Israel's not two nations, right? So this creates a problem. Ishbosheth and David clash. Now, David. What you're going to see in the course of this civil war, David never goes on the offensive. He never goes to take land against Ishbosheth ever. Everything is going to be instigated by Abner. Abner's really the power here. Ishbosheth is just a name. We'll see that later on too. But Abner is the one who makes the aggressive moves. And so in verse 12, we see an initial aggressive move. It says, And Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, they went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. Now, uh, servants here means these are officials. These are probably other military officials. So Abner and Ishbosheth's officials, and as well as a small army, <laughs> they likely come to Gibeon because I would imagine the city was not really sad when Saul died. These people who had survived his mass slaughter, they probably immediately committed to David. They probably had said, hey, you're king. We're good with that. In Abner's mind, he's thinking, this is Benjamite territory. This is my homeland. We can't have anybody that's for David in our homeland. And so he likely brings this force here to subdue Gibeon, which means if they've declared for David that David is forced to send his own delegation to defend them. So verse 13, and Joab, the son of Zariah and the servants of David, they went out and they met together with the army that Abner brought by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the one on the other side of the pool. So, I mean, I guess they had a pool party. 
The word here for pool means a, a reservoir. Uh, the reservoir was a common meeting place in the community. Jeremiah 41 verse 12 says that the reservoir at Gibeon was massive. Um, in fact, if you go there today, there's a hundred foot wide reservoir still there, still in use. So they sat down. They was not to have a pool party, but they did sit down to talk. Because where do we go from here? We got two armies here, two Israeli armies, and that's never going to be good. So they sit down to talk. But it's going to become clear that both sides are itching for a fight. I love what David Guzik says about Abner and Joab. He says, Abner and Joab were each tough, mean military men who were completely devoted to their cause. When you talk about Abner and you talk about Joab, these are two individuals who are absolutely no nonsense, all right? These guys are like, if I got to fight, I'll fight. I don't care who you are, I'll kill you. It's just, that's their mindset. If you're in my way, you're in my way and you need to be moved out of my way. That is how they understand things. They see obstacle, go take out the obstacle. They are simple men and they are not nice guys. These are warriors. And so they, they, despite being close friends, there's no way this is going to end via a discussion. Abner made his intentions clear when he made Ishbosheth king. David cannot exist. And thus, Abner, as they're sitting here talking, knows they're not going to go anywhere. And he proposes a lesser solution to break the standstill. Instead of us fighting a major battle here, why don't we settle this dispute with a contest between a few soldiers? And Abner, verse 14, said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. I love the King James. I have no clue why he would translate that word play. There's nothing playful about this. The word here, play, just means a contest between two opponents. And it means a very serious and very deadly contest. The idea is, We'll put a couple of our best soldiers against each other, and whoever's alive wins. If you guys win, we'll go home. If we win, you go home. That way, less people have to die. And so when Joab hears this proposal, Joab says, let them get up and do it. You know, I mean, this is like a Hollywood moment, you know. Uh, Russell Crowe, you know, uh, Joab marching around going, let them arise, you know. And Joseph, Michael, Bob, go fight. Probably not Bob, but neither commander is concerned that this is going to be deadly to their men because they're fully confident their men will be victorious. The result here, it's a bit confusing to read, but it's clearly a bloodbath. Verse 15, then there arose and went over by number 12 of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And they caught everyone his fellow by the head, and thrust his sword in his fellow's side, so that they fell down together. Wherefore, that place was called Helkath Hazurim, which is in Gibeon. Helkath Hazurim, it means field of daggers. This was going to be short, range, brutal hand-to-hand combat. These weren't guys going to pick up the big swords. This was going to be knife work. This is going to be a small dagger and your hands. It was going to be a very close melee, very deadly. And so what actually goes on here is difficult to understand because the original language here in Hebrew, it's very difficult to translate to English. For example, verse 16, when it says, and they caught everyone as fellow by the head, does the they refer to all 24 men or the last mention here, the 12 of the servants of David? I mean, is this just how they were taught to fight? And, and, and Joab had kind of coached them up for this moment. And they just, they come up 
grabbed him by the head and stabbed him and just everybody's dead right away. I lean that way. However, the English makes it sound like everybody grabbed each other by the head and everybody stabbed each other in the stomach and everybody died at the same time like it was some gruesome play. That's the way the English reads here. So it is difficult to know for sure which of those situations it is. There is, of course, the possibility that these are just Hebrew idioms to describe violent battle. That is a possibility, that this was just brutal, violent, and raw. Whatever it's trying to describe, either all 24 men die or all of Abner men's die in the contest. And what is clear is that the violence that ensues here is so brutal that it gives this location a special name from here on out, Field of Daggers. This is not a field where there's a nice pool that we can come get fresh water from. No, this is a place where there was knife work that went on. This was a deadly, violent place. And so rather than being a contest, it turns into this violent, brutal melee that instead of resolving the conflict, only ratchets it up to a higher level. And so verse 17 says, and there was very sore battle that day. They just didn't fight. This was emotional. This was, the word there, very sore, means fierce, harsh, cruel. This was brutal. It was bitter. It was personal. Whatever had happened when they saw this little contest take place and the brutality of it, the emotions rose to a fever pitch and it just immediately erupted into a full-scale battle that was brutal. And it tells us that the results of the battle is that Abner was beaten. He was literally, it means he was routed. He was forced to call a retreat. And the men of Israel, his, his soldiers before the servants of David. Now, if we're looking at this conflict and how what happens right here at, at this field of daggers, truthfully, Joab's mission is complete, right? I mean, if Abner's on the run and his whole purpose was to go out and to defend Gibeon, Gibeon's safe, right? The battle should, it's over. His mission's complete. As I mentioned earlier, David never goes to take away land from Ishbosheth. David would only defend his allies. But Joab and his two brothers aren't the type to see things that way. They're kin of David, but they are not the same as David. In fact, David on numerous occasions, he will, like, they'll be doing something and, and he'll find out what they did. And he's like, what am I going to do with you guys? He says, what am I going to do with you sons of Zariah? I don't even want to call you my cousins right now. They were actually nephews, but because his uh, older sister was their mom, there was, they're probably more like cousins. And they frustrated David frequently. In fact, David fired Joab from the job of being his general three times. Three times. And every time, Joab won the job back. When they were taking Jerusalem, they, they ran into a problem because Jerusalem was near impregnable. In fact, the um, Jebusites who were up at the top of Jerusalem, and please don't be offended by this comment. It's not mine. It was their comment. They said, we could have our crippled people up here defend this place against you guys. That's how defensible the place was. There was only one way in. If you've been to Israel, you've seen it. It was a, a, a well that led to a cave that went up into the city. And it's about as skinny as that keyboard right there. How do you get through that? You don't, unless your name's Joab. And so David had fired Joab a few months earlier. And so David calls out, he goes, well, whoever gets to the top there, you'll be the new general. And Joab's like, watch this. 
Joab frustrated David so much that when he made Solomon king, he said, don't let that guy's gray head go to the grave in peace. He will eat you up. You got to keep an eye on him. All these brothers, they loved to fight. And in addition to that, they were fiercely loyal to David. It's a good thing. Went too far with it, but it was a good thing. And so their thought is, if we can take out Abner, the real power behind the throne, well, we can end this civil war before it truly gets started. And so verse 18, instead of just letting them flee, it says, and there were three sons of Zeriah there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as light of foot as a wild roll. Um, It means like a gazelle in the open field. If you ever look at uh, video footage of a gazelle in the open field, they're pretty quick. And so that's the idea. This guy's fast. And so it tells us here in verse 19, and Asahel pursued after Abner. And in his going, his chasing, he did not turn to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. In other words, he's not just following a fleeing opponent. It's not like he's just chasing after their army and it just happens that Abner's the guy he's chasing. No, he's targeting Abner. There are other guys that might be easier guys to pick off going this way or that way. And he's like, nope, I got tunnel vision on this guy. I'm taking down Abner. He was hunting Abner. And when Abner noticed somebody was hunting him, he was a bit shocked. Verse 20, then Abner looked behind him because he's hearing somebody chasing him. And he's like, are you Asahel? And he knows who he is. And he said, <laughs> he said, I am. And Abner said to him, turn the aside to the right hand or the left hand and lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor. If you want to make a name for yourself, when, you know, the idea is you come back with battle armor and I defeated this guy, took his armor, look at what I did. If you're looking for glory on the battlefield, buddy, go chase somebody else. But Asahel wasn't deterred. He wanted the highest prize in the day. And so it says he did not turn to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. He was not deterred. He would not turn aside from following him. Verse 22, Abner, then he says to him again, he says, turn you aside from following me. For why should I smite you to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab, your brother? Interesting. Turn aside. Go go chase somebody else. Why should I kill you? In other words, to what end, to what purpose would it be for me to kill you? And then if I did, how would I face your brother? Interesting. We have no record of Joab's life prior to David being on the run. So we don't know what Joab did when David was in the army when David was a commander, a high-ranking commander in Saul's army. But given that David's older brothers were all in the army, it's highly likely that Joab became someone of importance when David became one of Saul's commanders. It's even possible that Joab and Abner had some kind of relationship, whether it was professional or personal. Whatever their relationship had been, though, Abner is thinking he's a soldier and he's a politician, and he didn't want to serve David, He didn't want to give up his position in Israeli society, but nothing about this battle against David was personal. He didn't have a grudge against David. He just didn't want to lose. And so killing David's kin, targeting David's kin, which is what this would look like if he kills this guy, it served no purpose in his political mind. And therefore, it would only complicate his goals. But even though he says this, Asahel does not back off, which forces Abner to fight. Verse 23, albeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore, Abner with the hinder end of his spear smote him under the fifth rib so that the spear came out behind him. And he, Asahel, fell down there and died in the same place. 
And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died stood still. Spears back then sometimes had a sharpened butt. Sometimes it was rounded and just, you know, it was flat at, at the bottom. But sometimes it actually had a pointy end. Uh, the guys who carried that, it was usually because they liked to, if they needed to take a stand, they could stick it into the ground and it served more as like a, like a pole arm a little bit better. That way it'd be like having a, like a lance or something that if you were getting charged by cavalry or something like that. Apparently, Abner's carrying one of these types of spears. And so Asahel was chasing so hard that when Abner, he, all, as he's running, all of a sudden he just stops, plants his feet, and doesn't even turn. He just goes, Shunk. And as Asahel's running, he runs right into it, not expecting the attack at all. And it goes right up under the bottom of his ribs, right through the chest and out the back. That's how hard he slammed into this thing. And he fell down and he died. Asahel may have been quicker, but Abner was one of the best warriors in Israel. And so it ended just like Abner said it would. And because heroes like Asahel aren't expected to die like that, especially not to a fellow Israeli, when the other soldiers caught up and saw his body, they were kind of jolted by this and they stopped the chase. Everyone except Asahel's brothers. Look at verse 24. Joab and also and Abishai pursued after Abner. They kept going even though the sun went down. And the sun went down when they were come to the hill of Amma that lies in front of Gia by the way of the forest of Gibeon. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop and stood on the top of the hill. Uh, this shows us that this was not a disorganized retreat. This wasn't a bunch of screaming men running for their lives. Abner had ordered a controlled retreat for the purpose of disengaging. And so Abner's focus is we need to find a place to defend ourselves. And so he leads them to this hill, a much more defensible position with the high ground. And he stops his retreat and he prepares to make a better showing with the advantageous position. And yet, even with the better ground, Abner knows whoever wins this fight loses in the end. Because a lot of Israelis are going to die in the process. And so in verse 26, Abner called out to Joab and said, Should the sword devour forever? I mean, is this to the last man? Is that how we're doing this? Do you not know that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long shall it be then ere you bid the people return from following their brothers? Abner's mind is this. Okay, we lose this battle. But I've got seven or eight tribes backing my candidate. He really thought that David would eventually capitulate. He'd eventually acquiesce and then the nation would need to be reunified. So you don't want to create any bad blood more than exists already. But Asahel's chasing of him turned this into something that could create deep divides in the nation with Israelis chasing other Israelis like hunted animals. So Abner calls out Joab for making this conflict more than it should be. Now Joab, as the one who came to defend the Gibeonites, sees the situation quite differently. And thus we get a clue here as to why Asahel had pursued Abner so hard. Verse 27, and Joab said, as God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then in the morning the people had gone up, everyone from following his brother. So Joab blew a trumpet and all the people stood still and pursued after Israel no more, neither did they fight anymore. As God lives, <laughs> don't, don't put this on me, buddy. 
we know the reality. As God lives, is let me tell you the truth here. As God lives, which is a truth, it's the highest truth there is, that God is alive and real. Don't twist the truth and put the blame on this and me. We didn't start this. Unless you had not spoken. In other words, you're the one who suggested a challenge of single combat. You're the one who put this in a place where it got nasty. Joab holds Abner responsible for this because he was the one who invaded a city loyal to David. If they had just talked this through at the pool, everyone could have gone home alive. Don't put the blame on me. And then to prove his point, Joab says, I'll call off the chase. Joab is one of the most interesting people in the Bible. Joab is not a godly man by any means, which is, by the way, anyone like Joab who actually comes up to you and tells you, I don't think this is the Lord's will, you should listen. Because when he's being spiritual, it means things are bad. There are a couple times he comes to David and he's like, David, this is a bad idea. And you're like, Joab's telling me this is a bad idea? That should have got your attention, David. He's not a godly man. But Joab is a genuine person and he has no interest in politics. And while his decisions aren't always righteous, he always calls things exactly as he sees them. And this is what Abner underestimated about David and his men. You see, to Abner, this was political. This was about position. Every move was a calculated decision to boost his position. And that kind of mindset will always cloud your judgment. But for David, none of this was political. David wanted to fulfill his calling from God and wanted to serve his people, to be a real king. And his men wanted to help him do that. And they were fiercely loyal to David's heart. And thus, Abner can make all the accusation he wants. But the reality is, this entire tragedy is laid at his feet. Because Abner doesn't have a heart for the people. He has a heart for himself. And that's what makes Abner a man who isn't after God's heart, and therefore not worthy to be king. Well, verse 29, so Abner and his men... They walked all that night through the plain and they passed over Jordan, went through all Bithron and they came to Mahanaim. Joab returned from following Abner and when he had gathered all the people together, there lacked of David's servants, just 20 men, 19 men and his brother Asahel. But the servants of David had smitten of Benjamin and of Abner's men so that 360 men died. That's a very lopsided victory. 360 to 20, huge lopsided victory. And you know, when you add up those kinds of losses, Abner would have needed at least 30 tribes loyal to him to overcome David. And the truth is, 30 tribes don't exist. As we're going to see when we begin chapter 3, Abner is fighting a losing battle from the start. And yet by continuing it, he does exactly what he accuses Joab of doing. He creates a rift in the nation that will last for all time. One that will cause the nation to break into two nations just 75 years from now. Verse 32, And so they took up Asahel and buried him in the sepulcher of his father, which was in Bethlehem, David's family's hometown. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at the break of day. You know, when we look at this chapter, as we close this out, we see that David at the beginning is seeking God's will, and Abner's pursuing his own will. And whenever you have two people in the same proximity, and one's pursuing God's will and the other one's pursuing their own will, you're going to have unnecessary conflict. That's why in Romans chapter 12, it says, as much as lies within you, pursue peace with all men. 
That's our goal. We're not to be the ones who are trying, looking for the conflict or trying to bring about conflict. Our goal is to try to pursue peace with all men as much as lies in us. I can't control the other person, but I can control me. And so the Lord says through Paul, he says, do not be overcome by evil. See, well, they're doing this and this and this. Yeah, that's fine. Don't let evil defeat you. Instead, you overcome evil with good. Instead, do what Hebrews 12, 14 says. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Let's be those who pursue peace, not those who create civil wars in our sphere of influence. Amen? Lord, it would have been very easy for David to be angry and to think, here we go again, to lash out. Well, Lord, we don't see him do that. Lord, in, in this, he is very much like you. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to live out what Romans 12 says. Lord, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, to not be high-minded, but condescend to men of low estate. Lord, to be around those who have a humble heart. And then, Lord, when we are wrong, to not repay evil for evil. And so, Lord, we commit to you to be those who will do good to our enemies, to not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Lord, we can't do that on our own, so please fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might live this commandment out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.